Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Neuroscience CME Journal Club. The goal of each journal club is to evaluate the latest evidence and clinical literature and translate that evidence into improvements in the care of patients. CME Outfitters LLC is the accredited provider for this Neuroscience CME continuing education activity. CME Outfitters gratefully acknowledges an independent educational grant from Cephalon Incorporated in support of this CE activity. This activity is titled Evolving Sleep-Wake Research, Implications for Improved Patient Outcomes, Part 3. Our guest host for today's activity is Dr. Thomas Ross. Dr. Ross has been the director of the Sleep Disorders and Research Center at the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan since 1978. Dr. Ross also serves as a clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Michigan School of Medicine in Ann Arbor. Dr. Roth is on the Speakers Bureau for Cephalon Incorporated, Santa Fe Aventis, and Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America Incorporated. Dr. Roth has also received grant support and serves as a consultant for various companies which are disclosed online at neurosciencecme.com. Today's featured author is Edgar Garcia-Rill, PhD. Dr. Garcia-Rill is Director of the Center for Translational Neuroscience and Professor in the Department of Neurobiology and Developmental Sciences at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Garcia-Rill's research focuses on the control of arousal and sleep-wake cycles, recently describing a novel mechanism for sleep-wake control based on electrical coupling. He is also interested in disorders which manifest sleep dysregulation like schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. Dr. Garcia-Rill has disclosed that he receives grant support from the National Institutes of Health. Disclosures of faculty financial relationships and full biographical profiles can be found at neurosciencecme.com forward slash 396. The faculty have been informed of their responsibility to disclose to the audience if they will be discussing off-label or investigational uses of products or devices. Over the next hour, Dr. Ross and Dr. Garcia-Rill will be discussing and taking questions regarding an article in Sleep titled, Modafinil Increases Arousal Determined by P13 Potential Amplitude, an Effect Blocked by Gap Junction Antagonist. At the end of the CE activity, participants should be able to link the neuronal process of electrical coupling to sleep-wake control. To receive CE credit for this activity, you must complete the post-test and evaluation at neurosciencecme.com forward slash test. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's Journal Club. Hello. I want to welcome everybody to uh, this Neuroscience CME Journal Club. Um, I'm very, very delighted with, with today's um, guest, but let me tell you a little bit about the article we have today. So the article we have today is entitled Modafinil Increases arousal determined by P13 potential amplitude, a effect blocked by gap junction antagonists. And uh, the first author of this paper is, is Paige Beck, and, and the senior author is, is Dr. Edgar Garcia-Rill, who is from the University of Arkansas Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, the, the, this article, is, I selected this because it came out in the journal Sleep in, in, very recently, and, and, and it's a very important article. You know, as you will hear from, from Dr. Garcia-Rill, you know, you know, modafinil, uh, you know, is one of the really interesting molecules because of the fact that while it has a, a you know, while it's a very clear drug which enhances alertness, the mechanism of action is not known. Uh, there's articles, uh, as you'll hear, about its activity in H1. So this is actually a very, very interesting article because it, all, it speaks to the mechanism of action of modafinil, not only in terms of what transmitter systems it works on, but also what areas of the brain it probably exerts its clinical effects from. So this is really a, a paper which sort of uh, collapses, you know, bridges the gap between physiology and pharmacology. Now, since we are going to be talking about modafinil, I think it's very important for, for us to sort of say up front what the indications. We'll be talking about modafinil as a, 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 a wake-enhancing or stimulant medication, but it's very important to understand that it, it, the indications are very specific indications for uh, modafinil and armodafinil are very specifically, one, for the treatment of narcolepsy, two, for the treatment of sleepiness refractory, to the treatment of CPAP, and, and, and three, for the treatment of shift work sleep disorder. So, so we'll be speaking broadly about the CNS activity of the medication 
and there is a large literature on that topic, both clinical and pharmacological and neurophysiological, but again, the indications are very, very specific, and there are narcolepsy, refractory sleepiness and apnea, and Schiff-Work sleep disorder. And with that, Dr. garcia Rill, welcome to the show. Hi, my pleasure. So the question is, how does it really work? Most of the papers that have been written on modafinil begin with the sentence, the mechanism of modafinil is unknown. Uh, I think the breakthrough came uh, in a paper in 2007 by Urbano and Linas where they described the presence of electrical coupling in the cortex, reticular nucleus of the thalamus, which, as you know, is involved in sleep, and in the inferior olive, which, as you know, is involved in, in motor control. And they showed that it increased electrical coupling between neurons. Uh, we then showed that this electrical coupling is increased in nuclei or cell groups in the reticular activating system, the part that controls sleep and waking. So we described it in three separate cell groups in the reticular activating system, thus accounting for its potential for changing sleep-wake uh, rhythms. This study that we published had to do with assessing the effects of this in the whole animal. That initial study was done on cells. This animal was done on whole animals, and we used the drug to change arousal levels in uh, in the animals. Um, the, the, the issue is that most of the cells that have gap junctions, which is the way electrical coupling is maintained in the nervous system, most of the cells that have electrical coupling are GABA cells. They're inhibitory cells. And so when you couple them, you kind of shunt their resistance. You kind of slow them down, and they release less GABA. So they inhibit less. So there's been an argument as to what is it that modafinil does. Well, it decreases GABA release, and that's true. But other people say, well, it increases acetylcholine, which is another transmitter. And yes, it's true, because the GABA disinhibits those cells by becoming electrically coupled and thus slowing down their release. It disinhibits noradrenaline, serotonin, basically most of the other transmitters that GABA normally inhibits. And so that way the, the brain becomes alerted. It becomes more active um, in the presence of modafinil. And one of the advantages of electrical coupling is that it makes cells fire together. And, and the importance of this, uh, picture an audience uh, where everybody's clapping at the same time. The sound is quite loud, but if people start clapping out of rhythm, if everybody's clapping at a different point in time, you just don't hear that rhythm. And so cells in the nervous system that are electrically coupled, they fire together and rhythms are generated uh, in order to be transferred to the next way station in the circuit. And this helps promote high-frequency oscillations, high-frequency rhythms in the brain, which are basically involved in things like arousal and attention. Great. Okay, so in, in this study, you, you, how did you, you, you measure the coupling by, by measuring a P13 potential amplitude, the amplitude of a P13 potential. You know, I think many of our people who are listening, you know, used to evoke potentials. What is a P13 potential? The uh, evoke potentials, as you know, you, you give a sensory stimulus and you can record the the ensemble activity or the population responses by putting an, an electrode on top of the scalp. And in the human, for example, you give a click stimulus, you'll have the brainstem auditory responses about 10 milliseconds. You have a primary auditory response about 25 milliseconds. And then about 50 milliseconds, you get the P50 potential. And this is thought to be an arousal potential. And it's, and it's present during waking, and it's also present during REM sleep, that is, when the cortex is desynchronized. If you do the same experiment in a rat, you get the P13 present during waking and REM sleep. Okay, so basically we're, we're talking about evoke potentials. The P13 is just the rat version of our of what humans call you know P50. Exactly. Okay, so so let's move on to this. So one of the things you found, which is kind of interesting, is the fact that that 
Modafinil decreases this resistance at these gap junctions, as evidenced by this P13 increase in amplitude. Do, do, uh, do we know of drugs which decrease the amplitude? In fact, you, you used a couple of them uh, right. in the study, and it would be very helpful to tell the audience. Right. The, the idea here is that, that uh, the P13 potential amplitude uh, increased gradually, and it increased in a dose-dependent manner, so that modafinil was able to to uh, increase P13 at 100, 200, and 300 milligrams. And so basically, uh, we developed a dose-response curve. That effect, we wanted to know, is that effect really mediated by gap junctions? So we put in, we pretreated the animal with gap junction blockers. And we used two different ones because most gap junction blockers have mixed effects and have side effects. And so we try to use two that are totally different from each other uh, in terms of side effects, but they both block gap junctions. One of them is mefloquine. Mefloquine is used for the treatment of malaria. It's, it's, a, it's a quinine-like drug. And in fact, people don't like it because it makes them sleepy. And, and that's exactly what we found, is that when you give modafinil alone, I mean, a mefloquine alone, you do get kind of a decrease in arousal. And if you pretreat with, with mefloquine, then the effect of modafinil is blocked. Uh, we used another drug which is used or used to be used for the treatment of ulcers. It used to block uh, gap junctions between acid-secreting cells in the stomach, and it's called carbonoxalone. And one of the reasons why people didn't like to take this drug is because it made them sleepy. And that's what we showed here, is that when you gave it uh, to the rat, the amplitude of the P13 became lower and lower. If you pretreat with carbonoxalone and then you give modafinil, modafinil does not have its waking effects. So we showed in the whole animal that this is the case. And we've shown in humans now that the P50 potential is increased by modafinil. Uh, so we've talked a little about drugs. Let me ask you some drugs which, you know, a lot of our audience may be more familiar with in terms of drugs which cause sedation. So, for example, let me give you three. You know, uh, we'll talk about benzodiazepines because, you know, they, they, they work on, on GABA or other GABAergic drugs. Uh, then let me ask you about 5-8. You know, the, the other thing you sort of told us is that these, you know, the, 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 the P13 seems to be these GAP junctions effects seem to be most clearly seen in REM and wake. But what about, you know, what about drugs which affect slow-wave sleep, things like 5-HT2As? Exactly. And, and things like alpha two deltas, right? The, for example, in the the P13 potential, the amplitude is decreased if you give alpha two agonists. So uh, if you uh, give 5-HT2A agonists, you also decrease the amplitude. Okay. So when when uh, when norepinephrine uh, goes into the reticular activating system, it tends to inhibit. When serotonin goes into the reticular activating system, it tends to inhibit. So that that's that's pretty common, and it's in keeping with with what we know about the P13 potential, and also about the P50 potential. Right. Now, the one of the most more interesting things that I find is what other drugs make you sleepy. One of the things that that's well known is that halothane, which is an inhalant inhalant anesthetic, will actually make you very sleepy. All right. I mean, that's what it's there for. Well, one of its major functions is to block gap junctions, and so. The, these GABA cells are being released. They're, they're being uncoupled, and so they can now uh, secrete as much GABA as they want and um, make you very, very sleepy. Another drug that does the same thing is propofol, mm -hmm. which is a, an agent which puts you under in seconds. You give an IV bolus of this to someone, and it really uh, puts them under very quickly. Uh, it also blocks GAP junctions. So a lot of anesthetics um, uh, agents will actually block gap junctions, and I think that that's how they act. Um, it's not an unspecific effect. It's just a way of releasing GABA action all over the brain. Compared to, to what you mentioned, the benzodiazepines, what the benzodiazepines do is bind to a to a site that's next to the GABA receptor and it mm -hmm. and it increases or it amplifies the activity of GABA. And so it's um kind of the same thing but 
right. but not quite. I mean, it's easier to, or at least it's more natural, to increase the endogenous or the natural transmitter than to amplify it. And so um, I think affecting GABA release um, the way uh, modafinil or these gap junctions blockers do it is a little more natural than with okay. benzodiazepines. You know, just for our, for our listeners, you know, I, I sort of asked about 5-HG2A and alpha-2 deltas. I mean, for, for the ratification, alpha-2 deltas things are, are drugs like gabapentin and pregabalin, and 5-HG2As are receptor sites, which many atypical antipsychotics and some antidepressants bind at. So just, just to clarify my question, but so let's move from drugs now to clinical conditions. So one of the things that's interesting, so we, we you know, you sort of describe drugs which can sort of increase or decrease this jump across these gap junctions. What about disorders or, or, or normal variations? What happens to P13 in, in obstructive sleep apnea patients and shift work sleep disorder patients in people who are sleep deprived in, in residents? Right. What, what's known about, about the P50 in the human um, and the P13 in the rat, for example, in, in humans, uh, in narcolepsy, the P50 potential is very attenuated, is very, very small. And so it is a direct measure of level of arousal. Uh, in fact, the P50 potential is also decreased in autism, and it's also decreased in, in some Alzheimer's patients. Um, on, on, on the opposite side, the when you give two stimuli, a pair of stimuli, the habituation between the two stimuli is decreased in schizophrenia, anxiety disorder, uh, especially PTSD and depression. And so, this, uh, the, in general, those conditions which make you sleepier tend to decrease the amplitude of the P50, and those conditions which are hyper that induce hypervigilance make the P50 amplitude either bigger or its habituation less likely. So in terms of all of these disorders, the P50 is a good measure of level of arousal and also of ability to gate sensory stimulation. So so it's, it's so and then this applies not only to conditions but but just normal variants like sleep deprivation. Sleep people. deprivation is very interesting because the the level of arousal is changed and so is attention mm -hmm. and um, one of the things that happens with uh, sleep deprivation is that your reaction time increases. Right. So you respond uh, in a timely manner much less effectively. And in fact, you fail to respond to a lot of stimuli. And, uh, you know, you got to think about the reticular activating system as your basic arousal system. And you need to have that in order to pay attention. And then you need to pay attention in order to get, have learning. So all of these are building blocks, and if you and if you start down-regulating or or blocking arousal, then it's kind of like uh, dominoes. It's they just start falling over because you're not going to have attention and you're not going to have learning. So that's why you need a level of arousal in order to be able to attend to stimuli and in order to be able to appreciate them. Okay. Um, so, so I think so. So, with that, you know, let, let me go to a couple of things which I think are very, which I think are interesting. So, so for example, there's a lot of imaging studies which sort of show that in, in these people you're talking about, you know, in people with narcolepsy, sleep apnea, some of the psychiatric conditions, there's a decrease narcolepsy, there's a decrease in, in metabolic activity or activation in the prefrontal cortex. So, so would your hypothesis be that that these cells in the RAS, you know, their job is is to increase the arousal level in those centers and the lack of stimulation out of the RAS is what's responsible to the hypometabolic activity in the prefrontal cortex? Um, I, think, I think they're related. I'm not sure that they're causal. Okay. Here's, here's, here's why. Uh, if you look at, at, at the frontal lobe, um, the frontal lobe blood flow decreases uh, whenever you're in REM sleep. Whenever you're dreaming, you don't have critical judgment. You're not saying, uh, "Hey, wait a minute, I can't fly." You know, let's have, let's get back on the ground and have a realistic dream. So critical judgment is is basically out the window while you're dreaming, and and if you and studies show that that the frontal lobe is hyper hypometabolic during REM sleep. It is not hypometabolic during waking. 
Okay. Now, in, in pathological conditions, schizophrenia, anxiety disorder, PTSD, depression, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, all of these disorders have decreased frontal lobe blood flow. And so what we think is happening is that the reticular activating system is firing in, in an inappropriate manner and it's bursting in an inappropriate manner during these disorders. And that makes the brain think it's in REM sleep rather than waking. And, I, and, and that's a, that's a uh, speculation which we have that is interesting. yet to show. Yeah. Let me ask you one other question. So, so we have this decreased you know, activity. Do you have any data on, on so let's turn from P13 to P50. So you've, you've shown the changes in gap junction in, 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 in rats. Has there any data to show that the vocal potential changes with the use of modafinil in any population, the P50? Yes, we, we've shown that, uh, that, that the P50 potential increases amplitude um, after oral modafinil. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about the animal work is that, is that we can show the increase in P, P13 potential in the rat after oral administration or after intracranial administration, putting it right into the right. reticular activating system. So we know that it's localized there, and we know that its mode of action uh, is local. Now, the interesting thing is that it does take some time to act. In the human, it takes about an hour to get an, uh, a significant increase, and it stays up for several hours. Uh, in the rat, it takes about 30 minutes or so to get a significant increase. Let me ask you about that. You know, because you talk about that in the discussion, I think it's one of the interesting things of your paper, that, that delay, whether that's 30 minutes in, in rodents or 60 minutes in humans, you know, you know, do you think that's kinetics or mechanism of action that it takes time for, to, to get into the cell and do that activity? Well, one of the things that, that you got to think about is, is how is this agent affecting gap junctions? Gap junctions are very tight between cells. They're, the cells are right up against each other. And so the, um, how do you get that drug to affect the gap junction? It has to be absorbed into the cell and have a metabolic effect. There are three potential sites where gap junction channels are taken from vesicles, inserted into the membrane, and rotate into these plaques to form these gap junctions. And so we think that the reason why it takes a long time to act is that it needs to be absorbed inside the cell and, and affect metabolism intracellularly. Great. I could go on with, with all my questions. I have a list here for about another half an hour, but I think we have a a reasonably large audience, so, so Dr. Garcia-Grill, I'm going to now turn it over. Uh, we can sort of ask our audience to ask you questions. And at this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. You may withdraw your question at any time by pressing the pound key. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star and then the number 1 on your touchtone phone. We'll pause while any questions queue. Okay, while we're waiting to take audience questions, I'd like to let you, our audience know that there are additional online resources at www.neurosciencecme.com. At the conclusion of this Q&A session, you'll automatically be re redirected to this site. I encourage you to take advantage of this evidence-based resource. Well, I, I, you know, I, I hope you have a lot of time, Dr. Garcia-Rill, because I, there's an amazing number of questions. <laughs> So, so first of all, you know, you know, we, we, we first person writes, you know, uh, emailed in, you know, which I think is sort of, you know, uh, actually an interesting question, which I think may not be an answer to. Would it be fair to think of modafinil as a neuromodulator rather than a neurotransmitter? Yes, definitely. I think it's a neuromodulator. It, it, it has downstream effects, and so. It's not affecting receptors. It's affecting metabolism, which then changes the action of how the cells fire. When you when you electrically couple the cells and you shunt the resistance, then they they start to secrete less less GABA. So it's definitely a modulator. Great. And so so, let, let, so, so, so staying in the pharmacology area, uh, there are a couple of questions about you know one. Um, would you speculate? You, you know, you did your 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 uh, 
research on modafinil. There's now a, a um, isomer of modafinil, or modafinil with, with a longer half-life. Would you speculate the mechanism of action would be the same? Yes, I, I think that that would be uh, the same uh, for some. If uh, the armodafinil obviously is supposed to have a longer uh, mode of action, so that uh, whatever it's doing, it's preventing its its uh, being metabolized, and so it has a longer effect inside the cell, trying to get these hemi-channels that are floating around in vesicles inserted into the membrane and, and have them migrate over to the gap junctions to make the to make the channel. Uh, you know, just as a follow-up to that, you know, the, the, the half-life of the of the R isomer is about three times the half-life of the S isomer. Um, but in the, the next question is, is is in that same vein. So, so what happens if we look at other medications that people use to increase alertness? So, so what, what do you think would happen to gap junction with dopaminergic drugs like amphetamine, Ritalin, and then also what would happen with caffeine? The it it. These are all really interesting questions. One of the one of the interesting things about um, amphetamine is that it it stimulates uh, dopamine and norepi release kind of maximally. It, it releases newly synthesized and stored pools, so it really taxes the neurons and makes them um, secrete a, a, a lot of uh, dopamine. And indirectly, it affects arousal through the norepi system, um, and so. It wakes you up, but it also makes you quite jumpy if you're, if you're, let's say, a normal individual taking this stuff. One of the problems with activating, especially the dopamine uh, ventral tegmental accumbens pathway, is that it it brings about abuse potential because um, anything, any almost any abuse um, is going to take place. It's going to have to include activation of this pathway. Now, the Ritalin seems to be less caustic to cells by releasing only newly synthesized pools. And so it it, uh, it, it has a similar effect in, in activating arousal. But again, it also is going to have uh, considerable abuse potential by activating this ventral tegmental pathway. Probably the reason why modafinil doesn't have as much abuse potential is because it's not activating the release is just allowing endogenous release to occur. So it's a much more natural effect, and um, that may account for it, for its lack of abuse potential. Okay. Uh, in fact, that was one of the questions people were going to ask. That, you know, would this explain the potential? So, so you answer that question. Does this potentially does this explain the potential differences between the abuse liability of classical stimulants and armadaphylum and daphylum? And the answer you'd say is yes. This mechanism could be part of that explanation. You bet. Okay. Um, the, 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 the next question, Ab, is um, you know one of the things which is interesting is is can you tell me about you know. Um, you know, what are the implications of, the, of of this effect that you're talking about? You know, the, the, these gap junction inhibitors and, and, and you know, and facilitators in terms of the use of modafinil or armodafinil in patients who are on sedating drugs. So, what happens if I drug which, which which you know inhibits gap junction and then I give them modafinil? Well, you know, will there be interactions clinically? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it may be possible to use this. A drug for snapping people out of, you know, either anesthesia or a coma or something like that. It depends on 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 the original cause. If you if you have a cortex to wake up, um, then it may be possible to use this to to snap people uh, into into waking. So, but the more important thing I think is that the fact that the mechanism is there that that manipulation of electrical coupling if you increase it uh you you increase arousal and if you decrease it you decrease arousal i think it's going to presage the development of all kinds of new stimulants and all kinds of new anesthetics so so but you, you but you would speculate that if somebody took one of each of these you'd get a pharmacodynamic interaction yes not necessarily a kinetic one but a pharmacodynamic one exactly okay um so I, I I think that, that that's important. All right, uh, I just don't know where to go. You know, by the way, operator, while, while I'm trying to pick questions, do we have anybody on the phone with a question? 
Yes, we do have one person on the phone with a question, and I'll remind everyone else again that it is star then one if you would like to ask a question. Um, our question comes from David Upton. Please go ahead. Hello. Uh, which antidepressants uh, cause a decrease in the P50 amplitude? I gather you wouldn't want to use those to treat chronic fatigue syndrome or fiber fatigue. Uh, that work hasn't been done. Um, the selection of different antidepressants and the effects on the P50 have not have not really been studied. Most of the studies that were done um, on the blockade of serotonergic input to to this area have been um, by intracranial injections in animals. And so the the 5-HT2 agonists um, are probably the more likely ones to decrease the amplitude of the of the uh of the p fifty and so um reuptake inhibition would increase the inhibitory effects on the p fifty for any drug that that has uh reuptake inhibition for for the five h d twos and that's what I would tend to speculate but the the actual human studies on the on on giving people s s r i s and recording p fifties have have really not been done. Do you, do you suspect there there might be an effect because well yes i i think that that the let let me let me go back to to how this thing is wired up uh so that you get a a, a good idea the 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 reticular activating system one of the main nuclei is the the cholinergic arm is the parenchylopontine nucleus and and this nucleus receives inhibitory input from both the locus ceruleus and norepi input, and inhibitory input from the rafe, which is where the serotonin comes from. The symptoms that you see, for example, in schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, are all symptoms that increase REM drive or vigilance, right? So what you're doing is you're blocking slow-wave sleep and you're pushing towards excitation. So it's a disinhibition by the serotonergic tone. So you, that's why you have uh, shortened slow-wave sleep, increased REM drive, shortened REM latency, and hypervigilance in most of these disorders. And so when you use an SSRI, what you're trying to do is counteract those sleep symptoms. So the, the SSRI goes in and fights those that sleep abnormality by inhibiting the excitatory end of the reticular activating system. The, the parenchylopontine is a cholinergic cell that drives the substantia nigra and the ventral tegmental area with very strong cholinergic input. It has a long-lasting muscarinic effect, and so it can drive the dopamine system to actually secrete a lot of dopamine in the striatum. And it's thought that the dopamine theory of schizophrenia is that you you activate this dopamine pathway and you have excess release in striatum and it gives you the hallucinations, etc. One way of inhibiting this extra drive or the extra vigilance and causing those kinds of symptoms uh, is by inhibiting this cholinergic arm with the SSRIs. All right. Let's go on to another question. You know, and, and again, I, you know, this question is, you know, off label. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'm supposed to sort of indicate when things are off label. True. Similarly, we talked, you know, you know, so that's my, you know, when we talked before about reversing the effects of anesthesia with medafinil as a potential, that 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 would not be an arm label use at the present time, nor is it a clinical use at the present time. But one of the questions, and there is literature on this, and you know, and and, and so this is sort of interesting, is is you know, there, there are some studies which suggest that this. Medication can be used to improve enhancement. Uh, there's some papers on that. Uh, could, 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 the inc could, could this change in gap junctions explain or mediate those kinds of changes in cognitive function? Um, I think it could because what you're looking at is you're looking at an effect in which synchronization is improved so that so that the audience is clapping at a, at a, at a very good clip. And... As you, since you are alert, you are maintaining your gamma band activity in the brain, and you are optimizing perception. You're optimizing uh, brain function. 
So so the key is to to be at something above 10 hertz, right? I mean, if you're if you're at, at the you know anything lower than 10 hertz, if your brain's oscillating at lower than 10 hertz, you're asleep. If your brain's oscillating at higher than 10 hertz, you're awake. You want to be up there around you know, 20 to 40 hertz, that's when you're paying attention and really functional. And so you need synchronization of these high frequencies to be maintained, and um, this mechanism allows it allows that to occur. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, when, when you sort of look at uh, the effects of modafinil, uh, you know, their, their, their presentation of, of, you know, I, I guess three-month, four- or five-month studies, what happens to drugs which decrease gap junction on a long, you know, if you sort of, you know, obviously in, in animals these are acute studies. Uh, what would happen, do you think, to, to gap junctions on a chronic basis with these medications, with these kinds of drugs? That's a, that's a very interesting question. Number one, it hasn't been done. Uh, the What I suspect would happen is that, as usual, you know, the effect would wane because the the multiple uh, intracellular mechanisms for the insertion of these uh, gap junctions into the membrane would ultimately start not responding with continuous um, infusion of these drugs. You would start, uh, you know, not not having a, a, a proper pharmacological effect. So it, it's pretty well like like most drugs. I suspect that that the effects will wane because the the, the brain will want to um, remain awake when it needs to be awake and asleep when it needs to sleep. So long-term effects, I, I suspect, are going to wane. And um, the question is going to be, does it affect daily living, you know, right. driving, uh, and things like that? Right. Okay. Well, what happens? Well, what do you, what do you, so we know what would happen to the effect of, of, of any drug which works with the gap junction. What would happen to the gaps themselves? Would they change across time, anatomically? Um, anatomically, I wouldn't expect so. Um, okay. One of the one of the things we know there are about twenty gap junctions. Um, connection thirty six is the one that's present in brain cells in neurons. Connection forty three is the most common gap junction in in glial cells in the brain. In fact, connection 43 is the gap junction present in the heart. I mean, if you think about how the heart works, for you to get a good um, contraction, for you to pump a lot of blood out of your heart, you need all of the motor units to contract simultaneously. How do you do that? Through gap junctions. So when you when the heart squeezes together, it pumps the blood out. If you were to block the heart, if you were to block the gap junctions in the heart, then all of the motor units would fire at different times and you would get fibrillation. You would not get proper pumping. Okay. All right, next question is, is some of the side effects of modafinil are things like uh, headache. Uh, could, could these changes in gap junction explain any of these side effects? I don't know for sure, but I I think that um, headache is such a... Uh, a diffuse kind of symptom right. that I, I just don't know how to explain that. Okay. Um, it, it would explain any of the common side effects of, of modafinil that we can think of. I guess disturb sleep. I guess it could if it happens. It, you would you would get a a change in, in sleep patterns. Right. I mean that's uh, the key here is is you know the interesting thing is that is that you're you you take the stuff in the morning and then it actually regulates your sleep patterns. When you fall asleep, right. when you when you're ready to go to bed, you're ready to go to bed. It's not like uh, a lot of stimulants where you you start going to bed later and later right. because it's accumulating. Yep. Um, the nice thing about about this stuff is that it does get broken down. Um, you have to take a lot of it because it has to get inside the cell, but it does get broken down. And so when you're ready to fall asleep, you do. Okay. Uh, the next question is, you know, and I, I guess this is obvious, but you know, um, um, this person asked, I thought the mechanism of action with daphnil, non-daphnil, was uh, its effect on histamine release. It um, is, is that inconsistent with this activity on gap junctions? No, it's not. I mean, uh, the the you know, the, the, we know that this effect is there, and there's no reason why modafinil can't affect other metabolic events 
you know, it is getting inside cells. So it could affect things like transporters. It could affect other kinds of mechanisms. This one is a very uh, straightforward one, which can explain a lot of its actions. And so, the so that that I think is 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 the beauty of the of this thing. The the histamine effect could also be indirect through right. uh, GABA 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 interactions that that then have an effect on histamine cells. Uh, next question, really interesting question. You know, we talked about, you know, the, the scab junction as, as a mechanism, you know, as a, as a pharmacological probe. Is there any data which looks at, you know, if you sort of look at, you know, mice with, with, with you know, with, with narcolepsy, or if you do evoke potentials, is, is there any data that suggests that gap junctions are abnormal in, in, in various disorders or in narcoleptic mice or um, in any human studies? The most of the time you 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 don't see these these kinds of things. Uh, one of the problems with gap junctions is that if you have if you have any problems with connexin 43 in development, then the heart doesn't pump, and so so the animals would die if you start um, changing gap junctions. Okay. Uh, the if you do a let's say you do a selective knockout of of connexin 36, which are only mm -hmm. in neurons. In the brain, those animals tend to show lowered gamma band power. The problem is that the animals that have that are connexin 36 knockouts, where you've knocked out the gene for connexin 36, they do not have AMPA receptors, and the animals compensate by making connexin 32 and another connexin. So the you know it's kind of like the Jurassic Park line, you know the Nature has a way of compensating for you disturbing it, right? And so there, there are other less effective gap junctions. So it they become funky gap junctions because they may not quite match, and the pores may not be quite effective. But it tries to make gap junctions when you try to knock out connexin 36. So it's not a pure um, kind of preparation, and it's it's difficult to know. Uh, if there are such selective deletions in humans, um, mainly because they just have not been studied in, in man. It's just very tough okay. to study. Uh, yeah, this is actually an interesting question. Is, is would, would modafinil be, in a, you know, be effective for narcotic sedation reversal without limiting you know, um, the, the pain relief effect? I, I would expect so. Um, the the problem is that it depends depends on the narcotic. Right. I mean, how hard it's binding. Um, but and 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 the problem too is that remember that modafinil takes a while to act, and right. so so uh, you got to make sure that that this is not you know a really big overdose, and and you're not giving enough time for the modafinil to right. to counteract the effects. But I think that that is just a matter of time before those studies are done. Uh, two, two things I just want to add on that, which I think are interesting. One, the, the, this idea that narcotics are potentially are, are powerfully sedating may not be the case at all. There, there's some reasonable data to suggest that. Well, first of all, there's huge species differences. Yes. In, in effects of opioids, narcotics, opioids. I mean, for example, in you know the term doping horses comes from the fact that it's a stimulant. Or, you know, in, 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 in animals like mice, for example, it's a stimulant. So we've got to be very careful about that. Similarly, there's data in in in, in um, in humans that, that that it disturbs, it may not be as sedating as we once thought it was. And the other, which is important, is things, anything which improves sleep will actually indirectly affect analgesic properties. So I think there are some interactions there, as Dr. Garcia Grill pointed out. Uh, lots of questions here. Um, so we talked about that. Uh, this is just a fact question. Is modafinil or amodafinil available in any quick action modes, e.g., IV? Um. I, I don't, I'm not certain. I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't I, think I, so. I, I think the answer is no. Yeah. Um, so we talked about that one. Is there any data to show that patients with sleep-wake disorders may have a defect in P50 gap junction? Uh, the P50 potential has been shown to be abnormal in, in patients with narcolepsy, autism, and and if you have, if if the disorder in sleep is towards hypovigilance. Mm -hmm. 
you should have a decreased P50 potential. If the disorder is towards hypervigilance, then you should have an increase in P50 potential or a decrease in its habituation. And, and so that's, that's pretty well the, what the literature consistently has been showing that. One of the things that we found recently is that there may be two populations of Alzheimer's patients, one population which is very sleepy and one population which has kind of like an occult anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And so you would have to treat both of these patients differently in order to have a beneficial effect. Part of the reason why a lot of drugs are not having an effect on a population like ADHD or Alzheimer's or even schizophrenia is because they're a mixed bag. They have all kinds of subpopulations in them that may have opposite direction effects. So what we think you have to do is you have to screen people with P50 potential so that you know which way their arousal levels are going, and then you treat them accordingly. Great. Okay, uh, next question. Are, are there other, are, are there any, you know, so you, you've shown that, that you have lots of drugs which, you know, you know, inhibit gap junction or, or you know, inhibit that crossing of the gap junction. You saw that modafinil, you know, facilitates it. Are there any drugs which show an effect similar to modafinil? Not that I know of. Uh, right now, the, there's nothing similar to that. I think it's just a um, a very, very special agent. It's just there, there's nothing else that we've found. But, you know, once you know the intracellular mechanism, I think that that you can start to manipulate gap junctions in a similar way uh, with with different compounds. So I think that, that it's just a matter of time before more of these types of stimulants will uh, will be generated. Okay, so here's a more general question. Do antidepressants impact sleep-wake cycle? And if so, do they do that through gap junctions? Um, the answer is yes, and the second is not, uh, we don't know. But if the Obviously, one of the first things that you, that you see uh, with antidepressants is if you were if you're taking the right antidepressant you're normalizing your sleep wake cycles uh, you can say that about almost any disorder if you if you if you're bipolar and you're taking the right kind of drug and all of a sudden you're sleeping six seven eight hours a night whereas for years you've been sleeping three or four hours a night that means that your homeostatic sleep wake system is beginning to normalize. So at least that's a change in the right direction. At least the sleep symptoms are being normalized. So the the key here is um, to remember that that the sleep wake system is your is a basic homeostatic system. It's well conserved in, in evolution, and it's essential for all of your functions. It's very closely related to. Um, your appetite is very closely related to circadian rhythms, and so they're all interdependent. Whenever you have disturbance of one, you can have disturbance in the other. Uh, for example, if you have Klein-Levin syndrome, you can have depression, plus you're going to binge on carbohydrates. So this is a dysregulation at the junction of your appetite and your sleep-wake system. Okay, um just as an aside, one of the things I always, when people ask about antidepressants, one of the things that's sort of very curious, if you sort of take the most commonly used antidepressants in the world, regardless of class, we're talking about tricyclics, monamine oxidase inhibitors, and serotonin reuptake inhibitors, those three groups are the most REM-suppressing drugs we have at our disposal. Those are the only three groups of drugs which can knock REM sleep to zero in, in, in all species. So I think that's sort of a curious thing. Exactly. And, and in fact, the MAO inhibitors are or classic uh, way of 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 decreasing REM sleep yep. in animals. You, you give them yep. you know, inhibitors and yep. It, and actually, prenatally, they, they drive depression. There's some data on that from, from Vogel's laboratory in, in right. my interaction. Exactly. Okay. Um, Off-label question: Does modafinil work on Alzheimer's or ADHD patients? Um, we don't know, but call me next year. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, general question, patients who are taking sedate, sedating antipsychotic medications still ask for sleep agents. Is there an explanation for that? Um, here's here's, the, here's the, the tricky part of this, okay? Let's say that, uh, that psychosis at its most simplest. Let's just look at, at the sleep 
wake abnormalities. Okay, let's not look at at the at the other things. So you so if you have a psychotic uh, condition, you're looking at increased REM drive and increased vigilance. And of course, uh, Bill Dement, the, the father of sleep research, always speculated that that what hallucinations are are REM intrusion into waking. That your brain all of a sudden starts looking like it's in REM sleep, and you start hallucinating. You your frontal lobe checks out, and so you start listening to the little voices, and you do exactly what it says because your critical judgment's out the window. So so the it, those are those contribute to the psychotic uh, spectrum of of uh, symptoms, and I think that those are the ones that are regulated by 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 agents now antipsychotics that block the massive excitation from the reticular activating system to the nigra the muscarinic blockade uh, the muscarinic input to nigra from the, the reticular activating system is very powerful and one of the drugs that has partial penetrance at that synapse is clozapine and clozapine um has been used quite effectively for the treatment of, of schizophrenia. The next generation, because of clozapine side effects, the next ge- generation of agents that has retained some of the um, anti-muscarinic effects uh, is olanzapine. And I think that the reason why that may have preferred effects is because it does have, it blocks the excitatory input to, to nigra and it also helps block D1, D2 receptors and striatum, so it lessens the psychotic episodes at various parts of that pathway. And I, I think that that's how these things are acting. We, we, we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask for a one-minute answer to, to this, Oops. basically summarize the, 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 the one hour. But, but i got to read this because it's, it's just such a nice thing. I participated in this entire series, and this is the last one in the series at the present time. It has been wonderful, and we have used this series for Journal Club in our, in our residence. This session is, is, is one of the more complex ones. In, in one sentence or less, he didn't say that, but I'm going to add to that. You know, what, what are the clinical implications of this data on gap junction, both in terms of inhibiting it and facilitating it? You know, so if you're talking to primary care residents or internal medicine residents, what are the implications, clinical implications of that? The clinical implications is that the future is going to be very bright for new stimulants and new anesthetics because yeah. this is an area that's just unexplored. New mechanism sounds good. Listen, uh, we, we, we've run out of time. Uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Garcia Rill for joining me today. I, I, I think his presentations and, and 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 his answers have just been very very stimulating for me. So so my, my gap junctions must have decreased, and especially for helping us translate this this complex evidence into improvements in clinical practice. Thank the audience for joining us today. I want to thank them. And if you are not able to get your questions answered, please send an email to questions at cmeoutfitters.com by November 2nd, 2009. Dr. Garcia Will and I will answer questions online over the next couple of weeks and post uh, the responses at www.neurosciencecme/journalclub. I'm Dr. Roth. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I hope you are able to incorporate this evidence into your practice and improve the welfare of your sleep disorder patients. Thanks again. Good luck. 